that clip was from a really powerful miniseries, if you haven't seen it, done by HBO on the Chernobyl meltdown back in 1986. Uh, I'll get back to that uh, clip right there that just when I saw it, it kind of blew me away. Uh, we're talking about a series on getting past your past. We've sort of been breaking things down into kind of some different categories of stuff from our past. A couple weeks ago, we looked at the stuff that in our past that we would say, well, that was my bad. Uh, that was stuff I got to deal with and got to own up to, uh, and I did it. I'm responsible for it. And our natural tendency on the my bad stuff from our past is to move down a path of regret. And we talked about how there's really no hope in regret. There's no chance for change in regret because regret's all about trying to change something that's already happened. You can't go back and do that. Uh, rather, the scriptures point us towards repentance and that we would go in a different direction from here on forward. God's always interested in where we're going, uh, more so than where we've been. And so he points us towards repentance rather than regret. Last week we talked about the your bad stuff in my life. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that we go through that we're trying to deal with that is in this category of your bad. It's things that have been done to us or promises broken uh, towards us or betrayals that have happened to us. And our tendency when we deal with the your bad stuff is to move towards a place of bitterness. And if we don't handle it well, we will move to a place of bitterness that can grow and fester and to many other destructive paths where Scripture points us in a direction of forgiveness. And that's a difficult thing, but I encourage you to go back and look at that. God says we forgive one another just as in Christ God's forgiven us. And outside of that, I don't know how you do it. Uh, but there's really only two paths for the your bad stuff, the bitterness path or the forgiveness path. This morning, though, we're going to be talking about another category of things, and that is an it's bad. Uh, in other words, I can't really trace this necessarily to something that I've done or something that you've done. It's just stuff that I'm trying to deal with from my past that's happened and I don't really know what to do with it because I don't have anybody to blame. I can't seem to blame you. I can't seem to blame myself. And so typically in these areas, when we can't blame anybody else, who do we blame? God. I mean, who else is left to blame at that point? Uh, God somehow, if he's over all things, he allowed this to happen, and so I look to him for where I'm going to place the blame. And I struggled with this. When my wife passed away many years ago, uh, I struggled in this category of the it's bad, and it just it was just bad. Uh, There's no really, really to blame. Um, and so you, you look to blame God in the midst of that. And so I struggled with that. And so as you can imagine, being a pastor, I was reading every passage I could about trials and difficult and the it's bad things of life. And I kept coming against something that was really frustrating. And there's parallel passages that deal with this straight out. One of them's in 1 Peter chapter 1, the other one's in James chapter 1. And both of these guys say the same thing that just, it just seems so out of touch with reality. Um, it says this, in this, Peter says, in this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. Wait, wait, wait. I, I can re greatly rejoice? Maybe I misunderstood that until you read over in the book of James. James says it this way, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And yes, I read that sarcastically because that's how I read it when I first read it. Really? I'm just supposed to, oh, my wife died. Well, hello, let me go rejoice. Praise the Lord. Some of you might do that, but that's not really where I'm getting at. No, you, you, how, do you, how do you rejoice in the midst of a it's bad situation? And that's what was, I was trying to figure out. And so my issue that I was dealing with at that time was the death of a loved one. But the, the reality, the word he used there for these trials, he says trials of all kinds. And the it's bad category is quite broad. And I was kind of thinking through all the different sort of like types of the it's bad things that come into us in our life. And it's incredible the things that we deal with in life in this category. 
Uh, I mean, this is all this is all encompassing of everything health related. Your your aches, your pains, the sprains, the breaks, the tears, uh, all those things that eventually will happen to all of us at some point. Then you add to that category the virus, the disease, uh, and then things like cancer. Uh, these are things we deal with, and if you haven't dealt with them yet, you will. Uh, I always tell couples when I'm doing their uh, pre-marriage counseling, I say, you're going to get up in front of everybody, and you're going to pledge to be with one another through sickness and in health. Now, I know right now y'all think you're pretty healthy, but one of you right now is a ticking time bomb. At some point, something's going to trigger in your body and go south, and you don't even know it, and you may not have had any control over it. Certainly, there's some things that are the my bad category on my health, but there's some things you don't have any control over. It just, it just happens. Uh, and this is a part of the trials that come into our life. Also in this category are relational issues, and sometimes relational issues aren't a my bad or a your bad. It's just, it's bad, and there's things go south in a dating relationship, in marriage relationships. Things go, you know, bad in coworkers or with friends, or uh, sometimes it's with perfect strangers. You might think, well, how could I have a, you ever been in traffic? <laughs> it's bad, isn't it? Except for I saw a billboard once that said, uh, you're not in traffic, you are traffic. Change your perspective on things. Yeah, then there's issues of sin that we deal with. Now, I'm not talking about the your bad sin or the my bad sin. I'm just talking about sort of global, we live in a fallen and broken world. Do you realize how much that costs you to live in a fallen and broken world? Just economically, how much that costs you. Everything you buy has sin baked into the cost. In other words, every company bakes in the fact that stuff's going to get stolen. So you're actually paying for what was stolen. They're not going to take that cost. They're, They're passing it on to you all their security, their surveillance, everything else, that's all part of the cost. You wouldn't have any, just think about it, if nobody ever stole anything, how much cheaper things could be. Or you ever looked at our national spending and look at how much we spend on defense and think to yourself, oh, if only we could take that money towards programs for people that could really help people. But here's the reality. There's bad people in the world and there'll continue to be bad people in the world. And so it's a necessary expense. One of the verses I read out of scripture is (coughs) at retirement ceremonies is about how one day, when there is no more sin in the world, and God sits on the throne once and for all, you know, all of us will be able to take the things that were spears and turn them into plows. That we'll never again have to train and spend that time and energy to train for war. That'll never be a part of our life again. But it is now, and wars are reality, and bad people are all over the world, both in our country and outside of our country, and they all cost us, and they have a cost to us. Uh, there's the fear that we have uh, of walking, you know, in a, in a neighborhood or a street that we're not familiar with, and we wonder, you know, is somebody going to attack me or jump out at me or dogs or whatever else it may be? And these are all part of the it's bad categories of life. Uh, there's the economic issues that we deal with, from job losses to changes in the economy, uh, inflation, recession, depressions, uh, taxes, inflations, past due rents, uh, interest charges, fees. Uh, I mean, think about how many arguments or difficulties you've had that have been money-related. Oftentimes, that's cited as the number one cause of marital breakdowns is, is money. And sometimes, you can have plenty of money, but you still have money problems because one of you wants to spend it and one of you wants to save it. I mean, all kinds of the just it's bad issues are related so often to our finances. And then I already kind of mentioned death. I mean, you can't turn on the nightly news without being confronted with death. And sometimes it's people you don't know. Sometimes it's people you've heard of, people that you may know, maybe people who are close to you. Eventually, you'll experience the death of grandparents, parents, siblings, and kids, and unfortunately, they're not in that order. Uh, And eventually, you'll have to deal with the reality of your own death. You live long enough, everybody you know is going to die. 
And that's something we all have to deal with. It's a part of, a part of life. Um, and it's difficult. Um, addictions. Everybody has what I call the besetting sin of their soul. Everybody has an addiction to something. Uh, and at some point, what will happen is you'll be powerless over that addiction. You'll realize just how powerless you are uh, to fight that addiction, especially on your own. Uh, compulsive behaviors. And at some point, they may get to the point where they're completely unmanageable. And that's what Celebrate Recovery is all about. That's step one, is admitting I'm powerless over my addictions. They become unmanageable. Um, that's a necessary uh, part of life to recognize that. And the things we struggle with. Paul prayed three times, God, take this from me, and yet he doesn't take it from him. Uh, then, of course, you add all of those things. You, there's also psychological issues that we have. Self-esteem issues, self-loathing issues, PTSD, anxiety, uh, all other kinds of fears, issues with shame from our past. And, and all of these things are in this sort of this it's bad category. And it'd be one thing if these things all came at us individually, right? But as you're listening to these things, you're like, I've got like everything on this list or tons of, and you're dealing with so many different things. It's like you have a health issue that comes in and then your best friend passes away. And then on top of that, you've been dealing with, with anxiety over some other issues. And then on top of that, you've got this addiction issue that's creating problems. And all of these things seem to pile up. And so when he says you, you face various kinds or many kinds of trials, there's a couple of things I, I, I want to get clear. One is what you're going through is unique to you. In other words, each of the, you know, whatever combination of all these things you have is unique to you. Um, at the same time, though, going through trials that are multiverse like this is not unique to you. Everybody's got something. And one of the lies that we tell ourselves, when we talked about lies in there, one of the lies we tell ourselves is, why me? Why me? And the reason why we ask the why me question is because everybody's going through something different. And so because I'm dealing with the death of a loved one, and it seems like as if everybody in your family is healthy and happy, I think to myself, why me? And I have no idea what you're struggling with. I have no idea what trials God's allowed to come into your life. But you're dealing with your own things, and I'm dealing with my own things. And so because everybody's stuff is different, we oftentimes think that I'm the only one. And that's the voice of Satan in your ear going, you're the only one. Nobody else has it as bad as you. Look at everybody else. They don't have to deal with this. The reality is everybody got something. Everybody's dealing with something. Now, one of the things you notice is that in the book of James and the book of Peter, if you know what the books are named after the author, and typically a little side point, whenever you have a book that's named after the author, typically it's not written to an individual person, but rather it's written to a wide audience. And if you look at the introduction to both of these letters, he says, I'm basically writing to everybody who's a Christian. And to everybody who's a Christian, I'm writing this. In this life, you're going to have trials, all different kinds. He tells it, you know, both of them tell this experience. And so what he's saying here is, is, you know, being a Christian doesn't make you exempt from having to go through difficult times. Rather, what it does is gives you a different perspective. And that's what I want to talk about next is this perspective issue. Um, after Melissa's death, I spent some time away um, from being a pastor. Didn't know if I'd be ever be a pastor again, if I could even do that. And when I came back, finally, after a couple of months, the first sermon series I preached was a series called Perspective. And the subtitle to it was, Sometimes That's the Only Change You Need. Because when you're going through a difficult times, what you're praying and asking God for is to change my circumstance, and God doesn't seem to change the circumstance. Rather, what he's trying to do is get you to change your perspective, because perspective is the issue. Now, clearly, there's got to be a different perspective on trials if James and Peter are both saying, rejoice in it, have joy in it. Because I don't see any reason for joy or rejoicing in the midst of trials. And so clearly, they have a different perspective. Now, our perspective is shaped by what we would call our perception. That's how you see things. And there's a statement that people always say, and they, they always accept it as it's a truism of life. And that is, perception is 
Reality. You've heard it. Oh, well, perception is reality. Perception is reality. Perception is reality. Okay. There, there, there needs to be a finished part to that statement. Perception is the reality that you think you're living in. Okay? It's the, it's the reality that you think you're living in. The problem is, when your percep- perception is off, what you believe is real isn't real. And this is where that statement in there, in, in that movie Chernobyl, it's about the meltdown, the nuclear meltdown. If you don't know, if you're not old enough to, to know or remember, <coughs> I was talking with somebody, I was like, oh, you remember the, the meltdown? No. No, I was born in 1990. I don't even know what you're talking about, old man. Um, Understandable. Uh, there was a nuclear reactor that melted down in Russia back in 1986, and it was bad. It was really bad. And one of the reasons that led to it was there was a lot of lies and things that were covered up in the midst of it. And so when they were trying to figure out why it happened, uh, he comes out and he says this, this quote, at least from the miniseries, it says, our secrets and our lies are practically what defines us. I would say it this way. Our secrets and our lies are what defines your reality that you think is real. We lie to ourselves. We lie and we lie. But every lie we tell incurs a debt to the truth, and sooner or later, that debt is paid. You can lie to yourself about what is real, but sooner or later, you'll pay for it. And you'll typically begin to pay for it when you go through trials. That's sort of the thing that brings it all out. And for them, it was a nuclear meltdown. For you, I don't know what it's going to be. But eventually, what the trials will do is they will separate out what is true and what is not true. Because you begin to realize when you're going through difficult times, you can't keep lying to yourself. You just can't. It has a way of shaking things out. And so, in here, he says a couple things about this. Now, by the way, some lies we tell about ourselves is, um, one is, uh, well, isn't God's, we wouldn't say it this way, but this is what we really believe. We really believe that there's an all-powerful, all-loving God, and his number one priority is my comfort and happiness. We wouldn't ever really say it that way, but that's truly what we believe. Because whenever God doesn't seem to use his power and his love for me to create a comfortable, wonderful experience, what do we think? How could a loving God allow this to happen? After all, if he's all-powerful and all-loving, wouldn't he be working towards my comfort and my happiness? How could this possibly happen? Now, newsflash. God is all-powerful and he is all-loving, but his number one priority is not your comfort and happiness. You're like, well, yeah, no kidding. I figured that out by now. Yeah, well, how'd you figure that out? Probably because you went through an it's bad situation where that no longer made sense to you anymore. Why? Why would God allow this to happen? Well, a couple things about your trials and how we need to reshift our perspective. One of them, one of the perspective shifts we need to have um, is to understand what you're going through right now is a season. This isn't for eternity. It's going to feel like an eternity, but it's not. Anything that's difficult feels like an eternity. Like anything in the category of construction feels like an eternity. Road construction. Will they ever have three lanes from here to Richmond? Will the bridge tunnel ever be finished? Will it ever not be under construction? Will there ever be a time where there's not road construction in Hampton Roads, ever? No, that actually I think is eternal. I don't know. But like each road seems like it takes forever. And as soon as they finish that, they go on to the next one, right? Um, home construction, right? Oh, yeah, we're just going to swap this tub out and put in a tile shower. Demo takes what, one, two days? Oh, that's going to be done by the end of the week. 
<laughs> no, no, it's not. No, it's not. Feel like toddlers, do they ever grow up? Last service said, somebody said, it takes 33 years, and I'm still counting. I'm not sure when. But you feel like as if you're never going to have any peace or rest. Sorry for that on the baby dedication day, but that's just how you're going to be feeling here pretty soon. <coughs> but he says, it's for a little while. What you're going through is a season. Now, for some of you might look at me and go, no, no, see, if this isn't a season, the doctor told me this is going to last for the rest of my life. Okay, that's still a little while. I always say, do I have to keep bringing this rope out? If this rope represents all of eternity, it's going to take me a while to get down to your little problem here. You're going, God, how long is this going to last? This is lasting for forever. And you're talking about this. This is your life. This little piece here is your when you're in school. This little piece here is whatever your career is. This little piece here is your retirement years. Whatever you're going through is here. And God says, it's a little while. And you're like, no, 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 it's the rest of my life. No, 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 your life doesn't end when you die. You're an eternal being. And you're talking to a God who's been alive for centuries, for millennials, for for eternity. You know, it's sort of like right now, if you ask anybody who's over 40, and you, you got your, you know, let's say you're in high school, because at some point you're going to have a high schooler, they're like, oh, Dad, you understand, it's the end of the world, all of high school knows, all my life is over. Really? Really? Trust me, it doesn't matter. It's high school. The only people who the rest of their life are still worried about what happened in high school are some loser on a talk show in midday, right? That's it. <laughs> am I right or am I right? You know, oh, what has happened in high school? I can't get over it. From your perspective, it feels like forever when you're in high school. But I can tell you that's high school. One day you're going to totally forget all about it. I can tell you whatever's going on in your life right now, three trillion years from now, when eternity's only begun for you, somebody will mention to you, weren't you in a wheelchair? Oh, I don't know, maybe, I don't remember. It'll be that long ago. And yet to us, from our perspective, because this is only the world we know, we think this is forever. And he says, no, this is a little while. Also in Peter, he says this. Look at verse 6. If you, if, if you have your Bible open to you and you're looking at, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, he says, in all this you greatly rejoice. So now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. When he says, in all of this, you greatly rejoice. What is in all of this? He's referring to what he just mentioned. If you go back to the beginning of this actual passage, back in verse 3, just a couple of verses before, he begins off his letter and he says, Praise be to God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into, here's what he says, an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, never fade. And this inheritance is kept for you in heaven, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming salvation that is ready to be revealed last time. What he's doing is he's comparing your trials, which are a little while, 
which eternity, which will, notice he triples up just to make sure you get it through your head, how long this is. It will never perish. It will never spoil. It will never fade. It is eternity. That's your inheritance. And what he's saying is, when you think about your inheritance and what you have for all eternity, all this white stuff, as long as it goes on into eternity, what you have there will never perish, never fade, never spoil. And in comparison to what you're going through right now, it's just a little while. Over in Corinthians, he says it this way. <coughs> Second Corinthians 4, he says, Don't lose heart, although outwardly we're wasting away. Inwardly we're being renewed by day by day. He says, for our light and momentary troubles, whatever you're going through right now, your light and momentary troubles is achieving for us an eternal glory that far, weighs out, that, that far outweighs all of them. For we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You have to shift your perspective from this life is all there is, why isn't God working for my comfort, to understanding this life is about all eternity. This is just a season before all eternity begins. It's a very unique season where trials are a part of your life. In eternity, there's no more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more death, no more sorrow, no more suffering. There is a season where God uses all of his love and all of his power to work towards your comfort and your happiness. But this isn't that season. Why? Well, let's go back to the scriptures. He says, consider pure joy, my brothers. I'm going to go back over to James. Whenever you face many kinds of trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. This word perseverance, uh, it's a Greek word means hupomeno, which means to remain under. In other words, as the trial increases, you remain under. You stay there and you endure it. Uh, You'll see that this word endurance or perseverance shows up again and again and again and again in scriptures. Over and over and over again, I tell you, this life is about nothing more than establishing, growing, developing a loving relationship with Jesus Christ that will last for all eternity. We already hit the eternity part. I want to go back to the relationship part. Are there relationships that you've had that have not persevered over time? Are there people that you thought loved you who clearly don't love you? Are there people that you thought you loved, but now you look back and you realize, no, I don't love them? Are there people maybe who you entered into contracts with or agreements with that you thought that this would be a great partnership, but you realize now that partnership has not lasted? Why? I would venture to guess that something happened in that relationship that challenged the relationship. Time, distance, difficulty. Some trial entered into that, which at some point, as we always say things like, well, it just shows you who your real friends are, right? Because real friends persevere. The issue is this. Without trials, how will you ever know if you really have a loving relationship with God that will last for all eternity? Now, I know what you want to kick back and go, well, doesn't God already know that? Yes. But do you? How are you going to know? How are you going to know who you really love unless you go through the trial? Unless you remain under, unless you have this attitude that says, I'm not quitting, I'm not quitting, I'm not leaving, I'm not going anywhere. If you look at the whole book of Job, the whole book of Job is about this. Satan says, as soon as the heat turns up, he'll be out of here, God. He doesn't really love you. And God says, that's not the, relation, that's not the nature of my relationship. He truly has a loving relationship with you. No matter what happens, he's not going to walk away. And sure enough, what does Job do? Lord's given, Lord's taken away, but the name of the Lord will be praised. What am I going to do? Accept the good from God, not the bad? I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying right here. And if you think about the nature of the relationships that you have in your life that have persevered, isn't that the same attitude they have? See, sometimes people think, well, 
You know, can't people like lose their salvation? Can't people like have a relationship with God and lose it later on? No. Either you have it or you don't. The problem is people don't realize they don't have it. And that's why over in uh, 1 Peter he says this. <coughs> you almost miss it in the English language the way it's translated. In the Greek you don't miss it, but in the English you do. Where he says, in all this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while you may have had to suffer uh, grief and all kinds of trials. Uh, that word you may have had to suffer as I was going through and looking at the, at, the, at the original, the word is necessary. Had to means the same thing. Like, you have to do this. It's necessary. What God's saying is, for a little while, you may have, had to, you may have necessarily had to suffer. Like, my suffering was necessary? Yes. Why was your suffering necessary? So that you would know. Let's go back. An all-powerful, all-loving God. Would it be all-powerful and all-loving for you to lie to yourself about your relationship with God only to find out you don't really have a relationship with him and not realize it until you enter into eternity when it's too late? Wouldn't that be the most unloving thing he could do? That's why over in Revelation he says this, um, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Words, I'm about to turn up the heat. I'm about to create some problems. I'm about to let the, the nuclear plant melt down. See, because this, I'd rather either know you love me or let you know you don't love me. What I don't want is you to be in this lukewarm place where you think you have a relationship with me, but you don't. And then all of a sudden you walk into heaven thinking everything's all good between you and me and find out you really don't have a good relationship with me. So in other words, don't you want to know who your real friends are? Don't you really want to know? Like before you win the lottery, wouldn't you really want to know? I don't know what the jackpot is now. Let's just say it's 100 million. Let's just say tomorrow you win 100 million. How many people are you going to come out and be asking you for a favor? Budding up to you. Wouldn't it be really nice to know before that day who your real friends are? Like before you bless somebody with all eternity, you kind of need to know who your real friends are. Better yet, you need to know who your real friends are. Wouldn't it be also nice to know before your friend hits the lottery if they're really your friend or not? Like somebody who you've been through everything with all your life, you could come to them and say, hey man, I need some help. Be like, oh, uh, I know, I know Daryl, we hang out a little. Aren't we friends, man? I don't know. Maybe I can hit him for money. God wants you to know. Sometimes the trials you go through are necessary so you know where your relationship is with him. And if you go on in here, he says this. He says, you say, I'm rich, because you've acquired so much wealth and you don't need a thing, but you don't even realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. He says you're lying to yourself. And at some point, these lies incur a debt that you're gonna ultimately going to have to pay, and I don't want you to have to pay for it with your soul for all eternity. But notice this language. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. That phrase, gold refined in the fire, what is that? Let's go back over to First Peter. He says, these trials have come, these necessary trials have come, that may prove the genuineness of your faith which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though it's been refined by the fire. Think there's a connection? I do. See, for gold to be refined, what that means is they're going to burn it and turn up the temperature until you can burn off the impurities. Typically, when the heat goes up in our life, what do we pray to God? Turn off the heat. Turn off the heat. As a pastor once told me, you can't bake a cake in the oven unless you leave it in for the set amount of time, right? What happens if you pull the cake out early? It's no good. Sometimes you have to start all over. How many times do you think it's been that you've prayed for God, stop, 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 let me out, let me out, let me out, take this away, take this away, take this away. 
And sometimes out of compassion, God's like, okay, I'll take the cake out. But at some point later, we're going to put it back in. At some point, you have to be able to endure through the trial so you can know whether or not you truly have a relationship with him. That's what you have to do. That's what these trials are all about. That's why James says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He doesn't want you to walk into the other side of eternity not knowing. I'll tell you right now, the hardest thing to do at a funeral is to preach a funeral when you don't know. But there's nothing better than going to a funeral where you know. It's a celebration of life. It's graduation day. These light and momentary troubles are over. No more crying, no more tears, no more pain. They're entering, entering all eternity here, and their Heavenly Father say, well done, my good and faithful servant, you did it. Clapping and cheering you on as you walk in to the applause of heaven. It's an amazing feeling. Some of the best experiences I've had as a pastor have been that. The reason why he lets you go through the trials now is so you'll know. Are you hot or are you cold? Do you have a loving relationship with him or don't you? A loving God wouldn't let you fool yourself all your life and make you pay with that debt for all eternity. He'd rather you pay for it now. That's why I talked to somebody recently who said, well, I just, you know, ever since this happened, I just, you know, I don't want anything to do with God. There was a piece of me that said, good. You need to know where you're at with him. I would hate for you to walk into eternity thinking you had everything right and that's where your heart's really at. That's a good starting point. At least you know where you're at. We can work with that. We don't close close our time in prayer. Father, I thank you for your grace and your love over us. Such as we go through these trials in our life, Your promise isn't that you'll take them away. Your promise isn't that you'll shorten them. Rather, your promise is that you are with us. That in light of eternity, they're so short. Father, help us gain a perspective that can find joy in knowing what you're doing. Rejoice in the fact that you haven't given up on us. Rejoice in the fact that this is not what our eternity will be like with you. Rejoice in the fact of knowing it's only for a short time. Rejoice in knowing it's clarifying where my relationship truly is with you. Father, may we have such a perspective that is so real and so true that our perception isn't a false reality, rather our perception matches reality. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.